Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, we want to continue teaching along the lines of uh, the human spirit, which we've been doing for a number of weeks now. We've got two main uh, texts that we've been using in uh, the most recent services, Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 27, which says, The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. It's not the soul of man that God uses to direct you or guide you. It's not the body of man that God uses to guide you, but the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. Then over in Romans chapter 8, there are two verses of Scripture that we've used. Romans chapter 8, verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Every child of God, every person that's born again should have, uh, should expect, has the right to and should expect to be led or guided by the Holy Spirit. Now then the question becomes, how is he going to do that? Well, verse 16 of Romans chapter 8 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. I remember that uh, uh, Brother Hagin, in, in teaching along these lines, said that one of the things that the Lord uh, taught him about being led by the inward witness was uh, uh, had to do with his ministry and had to do with some things that, uh, that the Lord uh, had planned for him, where to go and what to do and that type of thing. Uh, Jesus appeared to him in a vision. And, uh, and Jesus said... I want to teach you. Appeared to him and talked with him for about an hour and 45 minutes. It was an open vision. Uh, Brother Hagen was in a hospital room at that point in time because he had um, missed a step along the way, so to speak, and uh, knocked his uh, uh, elbow out of joint. And so he was uh, laid up in the hospital for a little bit, recovered supernaturally. But while he was there in the hospital, the Lord came into his hospital room. And he talked to him about some things. He said, I came to teach you about being led by the Spirit of God. Now, he said this, he said, uh, you've been trying to, uh, to go to a certain church. There was a certain place that uh, Brother Hagin had been trying to, to, uh, to work out, schedule, and get there. It was a bigger church, and, and uh, it was a good opportunity for him to minister and so forth. pastor had been after him for a long time to come. A couple of times, Brother Hagin had even picked up the phone to call him to arrange something, and then for whatever reason, just put the phone down, didn't even complete the call. And the Lord, uh, in, in this vision, the Lord told him, he said, now you've been trying to go to pastor so-and-so. He said, but every time you pick up the phone to call him, there's something on the inside of you that tells you not to do it. He said, that's the inward witness. He said, now I'm telling you, don't go to him. Don't go to that church. He said, I'll never lead you this way again. You'll be required to, be, to follow the inward witness, just like all of my children from this point forward. But I'm telling you, don't go there. Don't minister in such and such pastor's church. And then he gave him the reason why. He said, because in the, the way that you'll be ministering at the point in time that you would arrange, that pastor wouldn't receive you. He wouldn't receive the ministry that you'll have. So don't go to him. Now, folks, I want to talk to you tonight about uh, spiritual perception. What happens a lot of times in people's cases is they try to override that something on the inside that's directing them. Now, it's interesting that uh, I've, I, that uh, that example I just gave you, the experience that Brother Hagin had, has always intrigued me because so many times people, especially faith people, would have taken the position that, well, bless God, I'll just go and minister in the power of the Spirit. Or I'll just pray and have things change. See, it's real easy for us to think that because Jesus said all things are possible to him that believes, that we can just change anything and everything we want to. Well, all things are possible to you believing for them in your own life, but you can't change other people with your faith. Why didn't Brother Hagin just pray that God would move upon that pastor so that his ministry would be received at that time? See, that's what a lot of people want to do. A lot of people want to override that something on the inside, that inward witness, 
They've got a spiritual perception all the time, but they think they can override it with their faith, and they can't. I could tell you example after example of people whose lives were lost because they overrode that inward witness. Airplane crashes that took ministers ended their lives short. And survivors of the crash would tell, well, there were, the, the pilot said, we're overloaded. We, we don't need to fly this plane. Or the weather's too bad. And, and all the time, these great men of faith and power said, well, we'll just believe God for a break in the clouds. Well, I'm not sure if they had that break in the clouds before they hit the mountain. See, there's some things you can't override in, with your faith. All things are possible to you in receiving and changing in your own life, but not in the other guy's life. Now, turn with me over to Acts chapter 19. Let me show you an example of this. Let me t- show you a spiritual, a scriptural example, then I'll tell you some, uh, some other uh, illustrations to, to prove the point as well. Acts chapter 19 tells us about Paul at the, in the city of Ephesus. And it tells us that Paul had one of the greatest, had the greatest revival in the city of Ephesus of anything else that he had in his ministry. He spent almost three and a half years there. It said during that period of time, almost the whole of Asia heard the word of God. It became a springboard, a platform. It was a kind of a crossroads, a metropolitan area. So people that came there took the message that he was preaching about Jesus and scattered it all abroad throughout the Asian continent. Sounds like a good place to start a church, doesn't it? Sounds like a good place to stay where you're having ministry results like that. Now notice verse 21. It says after these things, and it's just described the great miracles and the the revival and the, the explosion of the word and so forth. After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, meaning Jerusalem, after I go to Jerusalem, I must also see Rome. Now, I want you to notice that phrase purposed in the spirit. I've looked that up in in over a 100 translations, and most of them are not really very good. Uh, Not that they, they take away anything, but they just don't shed any light. What does purposed in the spirit mean? If we take just the King James, other translations say determined, resolved. Uh, one translation says Paul made up his mind and so forth. There are two translations that are pretty good. Or one translation I think is pretty good. One is really good. Goodspeed's translation says, uh, uh, how does it go? The spirit, under the spirit's guidance, Paul resolved to go to Jerusalem and after that to Jerusalem, go to Jerusalem and after that to Rome. Richelieu's translation says the spirit moved Paul to plan. I like that one. Because what the, most translations don't know what purpose in the Spirit means. Because if it's talking about being led by the Holy Ghost, most Christians don't know what being led by the Holy Ghost is about. So how is the translator going to translate that? I guess purpose in the Spirit is good enough if you don't know what you're talking about. But what does that really mean? I like Richelieu's. The Spirit moves Paul to plan. Now notice what Paul determined. Paul determined by the inward witness, by, he didn't, if the Bible, uh, the Bible doesn't tell us that the Holy Ghost said anything to him, the Bible doesn't tell us an angel appeared, and if any of those things happened in the Spirit, and the Holy Ghost didn't give us a record of that, then he's done us an injustice and a disservice. So the fact that it says Paul purposed in the Spirit, or the Spirit moved Paul to plan, means that it must have been the inward witness. Now, you know the trouble Paul is going to run into. He's going to run into all kinds of trouble, and it all came down to one thing, and that was Paul had an inward witness, I need to go to Jerusalem, and after that I need to go to Rome. Look with me to chapter 19. Well, we're in chapter 19. Look further with me to uh, chapter 20. Paul is talking to the uh, elders at uh, Ephesus. A period of time has gone by where he left and then came back to this region of Ephesus. He's uh, a few towns away, several miles away, so he sends for the elders of the church there. 
This is what he thinks is going to be the last time that he's going to see them. And so he gives them what he thinks is their farewell address. It wasn't. Church history tells us that he made his way back there after, he, uh, uh, after a period of time. But, um, uh, but nevertheless, Paul is, uh, is pretty much convinced that this is going to be his last time he's going to see them. And he says certain things to them. Notice in verse 22, Acts 20, verse 22, And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit. Notice that phrase. I go bound in the Spirit. What does that mean? When Paul says that he's bound in the Spirit, or the, tra- the translators translate this bound in the Spirit, what does that mean? That means I'm doing what I know from my Spirit I'm supposed to do. How does he know? We don't have any record that the Holy Ghost has said anything to him. We don't have any record that an angel has appeared to him other than what the Bible says in chapter 19, verse 21. Paul was moved by the Spirit to plan. What was his plan? To go to Jerusalem and after that to Rome. Notice what he says. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things which shall befall me there, except, save or except, here's what I do know, that the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide or await me in Jerusalem. He's talking about Jerusalem. He says, the only thing I do know, I don't know everything's going to happen. The only thing I do know is that they're going to put me in jail. It's they're going to bind me. They're going to tie me up. They're going to imprison me. Now, folks, I would submit to you that that would be the place where most people, if they got that information from the Holy Ghost, however they got it. It doesn't say how the Spirit witnessed. It just says the Holy Ghost witnessed to him in every city that bonds and afflictions await him or ahead for him. It does not say that the Holy Ghost told him not to go. But most people would assume that if there's trouble ahead, that's God's warning, say, don't go. Why would he not stop and change directions? Because Acts 19.21, the Spirit of God moved Paul to plan. These are not his plans to go to Jerusalem and to Rome. This is not his plan. He's not trying to go out in a final blaze of glory. This is something the Holy Ghost has led him to do. And it had to be through the inward witness. So notice what he says. He said, I don't know what, what's waiting for me in Jerusalem, but I do know that the Holy Ghost has witnessed to me, witnessed, witnessed, doesn't say said, but witnessed to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me, but none of these things move me. That puts Paul in the category almost by himself in the mo- compared to the modern-day church. How many people do you know that that wouldn't move? Now, if, Paul just, if we just stop right there, none of these things move me, then we're going to have to assume or understand that Paul is moved by other things. If that doesn't move him, if the Holy Ghost witnessing to him that afflictions and, and imprisonment and so forth await him, or ahead of him, in front of him, waiting for him in Jerusalem, if that doesn't move him, then there's something else that's more important to Paul. Wouldn't you agree? But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry... In other words, finish my course and finish my ministry, which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. So what's he saying? He's saying the only thing that moves me is that I might finish my course and finish the ministry God's given me. So what is he saying? He's saying the bonds, the affliction, the imprisonment, the the trouble that I'm going to run into in Jerusalem has nothing to do with the plan of God for my life and for my ministry. 
Look with me a little bit further over to chapter 21. Chapter 21 tells us about how Paul came to a certain city, uh, the city of Tyre in verse 3, and it says, In finding disciples, means that means people that are born again, people that have the Holy Spirit inside of them, we tarried there seven days, who, the disciples, the ones that they found, the Christians they found there, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem? Who said to Paul through the Spirit that he shouldn't go? Now you've got people, we don't know who they are. We know they're not ministers because it says they're disciples. They're not prophets, they're not evangelists, they're not uh, ministry gifts of any types because the Bible calls them disciples. Just laymen and what we would call church people, Christians. And these people said, based on something they know from the Holy Ghost on the inside, that Paul shouldn't go. Now what do they know from the, ins- from the Holy Ghost on the inside of them? What witness do they have of the Holy Ghost from within them? Same one everybody else has in every other city he's been to. Trouble's waiting for Paul, but they put their own interpretation on it. They interpret that as if trouble is waiting in Jerusalem, then surely God doesn't want you to go there. But remember what Paul just said in chapter 20. He said, I know that bonds and afflictions await me, but none of those things move me. Because the thing that's important to me is that I might finish my course with joy and finish the ministry God's given to me to testify of Jesus and the grace of God. So what does Paul know that they don't know? Paul knows that he's supposed to go. But notice how many people are telling him what he ought not to do. Folks, let me tell you something. I I have no doubt these are well-meaning people. They're certainly sensitive to the Holy Ghost because they see what's coming. But there's a difference between having a witness in your spirit and knowing what it's about. There's a difference between getting information from the Holy Ghost and putting your own interpretation of what that information means. Down a little bit further in the chapter. Verse 8, the next day we were of Paul, we that were of Paul's company departed and came to Caesarea and we entered into the house of Philip the evangelist, which was one of the seven. This is one of the seven in Acts chapter five, one of the seven original deacons, men of the, men of faith and power, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. The same man, verse nine, had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was coming to us, he took Paul's girdle. Now notice the things that what he tells us. You got Paul's company, you got Philip the evangelist, you got his four daughters who were used in prophecy. Prophecy is not foretelling necessarily, but it, uh, uh, inspiration by the Holy Ghost to speak unto men to exhortation, edification, and comfort. And you've got Agabus, the prophet, a ministry gift that comes down from uh, from Judea. And when he, Agabus the prophet, was coming to us, verse 11, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost. Now he's saying what God's saying. He's not saying, Here's what I know, Paul. Here's what I want you to be aware of. He said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost. Up to this point, everybody else has had a witness from the Holy Ghost about the trouble that's awaiting for Paul and trouble that's ahead for Paul. Now Agabus is going to speak for God. Thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owns this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place. Now, folks, there are three different groups of people or three different types of people that are talked about before. Philip the evangelist and his four daughters. They are of that place. Paul's company who comes to that place, city of Caesarea. And the third 
place of origin is Agabus. And notice who it says is involved in the next activity. The people that are of that place, meaning Philip and his four daughters, and Paul's company. Doesn't say a word about Agabus. Not a word from Agabus the prophet. He's delivered the message of God. Thus saith the Holy Ghost, the man that owns this girdle will be bound just in the same way. And when we heard these things, both we, Paul, uh, Luke is the writer of the book of Acts. He's including himself in Paul's company. He's including himself as one that thinks this same thing that he's about to say. Both we and they of that place, Philip and his daughters, besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Notice Agabus doesn't say don't go. He's just saying here's what the Holy Ghost said. It's interesting to me that the man that's used by God to speak for him in the office of the prophet doesn't try to put his own interpretation on it. He just delivered the message. He knows what Paul does with it is up to him. And he's not trying to sway him one way or the other. Now, let me ask you a question. If somebody that's used of God, somebody that stands in the ministry gift of the prophet, don't get me wrong, people are not supposed to be led by prophets under the New Testament. It doesn't say, for as many as are led by prophets, they're the sons of God. Everybody's supposed to be led by the Holy Ghost within their own heart, right? But if the man that's used to be led of, used to be, uh, used to be used of God in saying what the Holy Ghost says, if he's not trying to tell other people what to do, why do other Christians try to tell Christians what to do? I think there's a great lesson to be learned here. Anybody tells you what they think you ought to do, you need to know right now that's them and not God. But how many Christians get themselves in trouble and come back and say, well, everybody told me that's what they thought I should do. What does that matter? Remember, Paul said, the Holy Ghost witnesses to me in every city that bonds and afflictions await me, but none of that moves me. I think we ought to be more like Paul. Not moved by what other people say, not moved by the witness that other people have, but moved only by the Holy Ghost who moves us to make our plans according to his purposes. Are you out there? When we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him, begged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered. Everybody, including Luke, is having their say. Then Paul answers. And said, what mean you to weep and to break my heart? Why are you guys trying to break my heart? Well, if Paul's in agreement with them, there wouldn't be any heartbreaking over that, would it? There wouldn't be any weeping unless there's a resistance on Paul's part. Right? So Paul says, why are you, what mean you to weep and to break my heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Yeah, but they're saying things like, but Paul, you don't have to. God's showing you. God's warning you not to go. Notice verse 14. Here's the outcome. And when he would not be persuaded. That paints a picture to me that they tried to talk him out of it. They tried to talk him out of it. Don't go to Jerusalem. Look at what the Holy Ghost has done. He sent a prophet down here to tell you. Agabus sitting back not saying a word. His job is not to try to tell people what they what he thinks they ought to do. His job in this case is to deliver the word of the Lord, and he did. Now, they're trying to persuade him. They're trying to convince him. Don't go, Paul. Don't go. Well, Paul must be resisting. Paul must be saying, but I'm supposed to go. That's what the Holy Ghost moved me to make plans for. Why would he move me to make plans if he didn't want me to go? See, so many people read these verses, and they say, Paul missed it. Here's the Holy Ghost warning him again and again and again. 
Don't go, don't go, don't go. Yet the end of the story is after he gets to Jerusalem, Jesus appears to him and says, Paul, just like you've testified of me here in Jerusalem, you'll also testify of me in Rome. Now, if Paul's missed it, that had been the perfect opportunity for Jesus to say, what in the world are you doing here? I warned you in every city you went to. But he didn't. Instead, it's the same as him saying, you did good to get here. And don't worry, you'll get to Rome too. Why? Because the Holy Ghost moved on Paul to make these plans and kept him steady. He was sure enough of the inward witness. He was sure of the leading and the direction of God in his own spirit to such a degree that he held steady in the face of everybody trying to talk him out of it. Folks, that's the way we ought to be. We ought to develop such a spiritual sensitivity and such a spiritual perception that we know 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 what we ought to be doing. That would do away with. Can you imagine Paul, after seeing this example of things taking place, can you imagine Paul ever going up to somebody and say, well, I just don't know what God wants me to do? Of course not. Because we're supposed to know what God wants us to do. And the only reason we don't is we either don't spend the time with him in fellowship with him in the word or in prayer to get direction or we're listening to other things or other people. Verse 14 again. And when he, Paul, would not be persuaded, we ceased. In other words, Paul was stronger than we were about this. And we stopped saying the will of the Lord be done. What does that mean? That means Paul convinced them of what the will of God was, and that was to go to Jerusalem and Rome. Paul convinced them. Paul persuaded them that it's the will of God for him to go, so they finally just shut up. Can you see that? Folks, so often we try to override that inward witness. We have a witness from God, but we listen to other people or we listen to other things, other circumstances, other situations, whatever the case is. We let things distract us from what we know on the inside. I think it's safe to say, and, and of course we use this in a in kind of a general way. It's kind of a cliche, but I, in some cases it might be true. We all know that if we had listened to the Holy Ghost, there were a thousand and one things in our lives we wouldn't have done. Now, I hope that thousand and one things is not real for you, but in some cases it might be. We know for a fact that we wouldn't have gone in business with some people if we had listened to the inward witness. I know for a fact, I don't know if some would admit it or not, but I know for a fact that some people would never have married who they married if they had listened and followed that inward witness. I could tell you example after example of people, people in ministry who divorced, who after the fact said, you know, I knew it. Somehow I just knew that wasn't going to work out. Well, what was that? That was the inward witness. That was the Holy Ghost trying to tell them, don't do that. Don't take that step. Don't do that. So many times we blame God for situations when we get ourselves into them because he's trying to give us a witness to what to do, and we override that inward witness. I can give you a great example of what happened in my own life. One of the greatest times I know of that I overrode that inward witness was early in the church, the first year of the church. Beth and I had moved out here. We had not sold our house. In Tulsa, so we had uh, living expenses here, and we still had a house back there. We couldn't sell it. The housing market was down pretty well. So we just tried to rent it out to uh, uh, to people coming in from uh, out of town to go to school and go to Raymond and, and things like that. And that didn't work out. We wound up having um, people living in there that wasn't paying us rent, and it was just a mess. And so we finally got rid of a, a, a renter that was a so-called renter. I, well, I don't guess it's a renter. Renters are supposed to pay. We got rid of the person that was living in the house and had been there for, for a number of months. And we were just merciful. We knew they were having some financial difficulty, and so we didn't want to drop the hammer and kick them out or anything. But finally, you get to the point where you just got to do something. 
So they had uh, moved out of the house, and uh, uh, it's kind of hard to manage a house from, you know, 1,500 miles away. So I decided that I was going to go back and clean up the house, get it ready for whatever, whether we sold it or whether we rented it again or tried to rent, find a renter, whatever the case was. I knew I needed to go back to Tulsa and take care of that house. And so I started making plans to do it, and I knew all the time that I wasn't supposed to go. I can't tell you how I knew, just an inward witness. I just knew that I should not go back to Tulsa. And I, I talked to the Lord about it. I argued with him about it for several days. I said, Lord, i got to take care of the house. I mean, that's just good business sense. What am I supposed to do? Just leave the thing sitting? What should I do if not go back to take care of the house? Well, once the Lord speaks to you, that's it. I mean, it's not like he kept talking to me about it. I knew. I'm trying to argue with what I know on the inside. And finally, I just got to the place and said, Lord, I know I'm missing you some way or another, but I don't see any other choice. I've got to go back and take care of this house. So I did. I went back to Tulsa. Well, the end result of that was that I wound up uh, staying uh, or going to dinner with some uh, people that I had known before, some people I'd worked with before. And they were kind of in a tough spot where they were working and, and things were going bad for them. And I heard myself say, I'm sitting at dinner, and I heard myself say, well, just come on out and work with us. I'll hire you as an assistant pastor. And I heard myself say that and and thought, who said that? (laughs) Well, he jumped on that. He said, you would? You can do that? Well, now I've I've already opened my mouth. I can't say, no, wait a minute. That slipped. You know, how do you handle that? So I wound up hiring this guy. Now, when I hired him, I violated every principle and practice that I know to be good business. I paid him more than I paid myself because they were in a bad spot. I'm just trying to help the guy. I care about the guy. He's a great friend. Just tried to help the guy. It wasn't several months later when they got out here, started working at the church. The way they spent the church money, they were wasteful. He started working his way in with some of the people in the church, people that had money trying to do some things, kind of telling the sob stories and, and, and stuff like that, weaseling certain things out of them. And, and within a matter of, I don't know, maybe eight or nine months, something like that, the Lord spoke to me finally, and I couldn't get him to say anything to me about it in the meantime. I'm suffering. The church is suffering because I violated the inward witness. The Lord knew that if I went back to Tulsa, this would happen, and I went, knowing full well I shouldn't have gone. Within probably nine months later, the Lord finally spoke to me and said, if you leave him alone, he'll split your church. Well, I've already missed God once on this. I'm not going to miss him the second time. So I had to talk to him. I had to walk up, to, walk into him and, and say, look, this isn't working. Well, it created a real problem. He accused me of lying. He said, well, you told me one of the things that I do when I got out here is handle the administration of the church, and that includes the church finances, and you won't turn the church finances over to me. And I said, yeah, because you're wasting money. I'm not going to put it in your hands. What you have used, you've used poorly. And so it turned into a big thing. Best friend I ever had, or best friend I had up to that point in time. That relationship, that friendship was completely destroyed to this day. Well, folks, I don't have enough friends to destroy friendships. And looking back at it, it all comes back to the same thing. The, the work that I was able to do, the things I was able to do in the house was so minimal, it made no difference whatsoever that I went to town. So I know what it is to miss the inward witness. I know what it is to try to override that something on the inside that says, don't do this. I've learned my lesson. And, and really, I guess in the bottom, you know, in the big picture um, scheme of things, 
I learned on a pretty, pretty light level, pretty small scale. But I've learned that lesson. I'm not going to miss it that way again. Now, let me show you what something, something else that people do. Another thing where the inward witness is concerned is people will have an inkling about something. They'll try to rush it. Turn with me to Acts chapter uh, 13. Acts chapter 13. I'll start reading in verse 1. Now, what, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, such as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Names four people. Starts with Barnabas, ends with Saul. Uh, notice they are all prophets and or teachers. They're either a prophet or a teacher, or maybe they stand in both offices, prophet and teacher. That's the only way that the, the wording fits here. So everybody's a ministry gift. Everybody's operating in the ministry. I think we could say they're seasoned ministers because their names are given. They're men that would uh, trust one another in the things of God. Verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. Now I want you to notice certain things. First thing I want you to notice the atmosphere that the Holy Ghost speaks in. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted. Now what does fasting do? Fasting does not change God. Fasting does not make God speak. Fasting is where you turn the attention that you would give to eating and the things of your physical body to the things of the Lord. If you're just not eating and don't spend that time either praying or in the word, you're just dieting. And dieting does not make people hear from God. America should be up to speed on that one. No, it's ministering to the Lord. It's spending the time that you would spend on your body by giving that attention to the things of God. And that's the atmosphere that the Holy Ghost ministers or speaks in when we minister to the Lord. That could either be through prayer. That could either be through the word. It could be through singing to the Lord. There's too much ministering to one another in church and not enough ministering to the Lord. I was talking to somebody today, and they were talking to somebody that's uh, well-known in uh, Christian circles as uh, a singer and a songwriter, song leader, I guess. I don't know about songwriter, but song leader. And uh, he was telling me about a conversation he had with him. And uh, apparently this guy has uh, had some challenges, and as a result, spent some extra time with the Lord, got some direction for his life. And he said, I've come to realize that most of the songs we sing really aren't unto the Lord. Well, as a result, that's put him kind of in the outs with everybody else that's famous in the Christian music industry. He said he's running into a real resistance and kind of running into a, a, a wall with some other people that used to be his friends because they don't like his position now. And his position is we ought to change our songs to be scriptural. We ought to change our songs to where they sing to the Lord and minister to him rather than just talk about us. I hope he maintains his position. He can have a great voice in the church if he does. But he's not going to have a lot of company there. I'll have to tell you that. But that's what they did as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. They're spending their time with the Lord. And as a result, the Holy Ghost says something. Now, what does the Holy Ghost say? He says, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. In other words, he's saying, I'm not calling them now. I've already called them. That means Barnabas and Saul were called before this ever occurred. Now, the work that he's calling them to is to go out and be apostles. This is the start of their first missionary journey. And Paul winds up on the three missionary journeys and affects the, the, the shape of the world, the face of the world with the gospel. 
But what I want you to see is God worked in their hearts individually. He spoke to them individually before he ever spoke to the group about it. Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. I've already called them. The call's already there. I'm just ministering to this group or speaking to this group, the Holy Ghost is saying, so that you can send them out formally so that everybody can know what I've called them to do. Paul already knows. I wonder if this is how Paul learned to, to, to let the Spirit of God move, move him to make his plans. I wonder if it's through things like this that he learned when the Holy Ghost speaks to you, he brings it to pass. Now, i got to tell you, folks, most of the people I know, once they feel like they're called to do something, they want to run out and start. How long ago did the Holy Ghost call them before this point in time? We don't know. Was it a week? Was it a month? Was it several years? We don't know. But what we do know is however long it was, whether it be long or short, and I, I'm inclined to think it was a little bit longer rather than shorter. We know that they didn't rush off and try to make it happen. Paul's a young man in ministry even at this point in time. So when God called him and, and Barnabas, that would have been a perfect opportunity for them to run up to their other ministry friends and say, let me tell you what God's called me to do, which is what you see happen a lot of times in ministry now. But that's not what they did. They waited for God to work it out. They waited for God to work it out. When Beth and I left uh, Brother Hagin's ministry in uh, middle 1984, we uh, started ministering and started traveling some and, and uh, started doing some work overseas and, and uh, did that for about a year. And, and I was as happy as a clam. Wasn't any good at what I was doing, I don't think, looking back at it. But um, nevertheless, it was just a, it was a wonderful time because there was a freedom in the Holy Ghost to do whatever you wanted, uh, whatever you felt impressed of the Lord to do. And, and we went to a lot of nice places and meaning nice people, not really nice or big churches or anything, but, uh, met a lot of nice people, had a chance to minister the word and so forth. But after about a year, we'd been doing that for about a year. Something changed on the inside of me. Now I, the Lord didn't speak to me. It, it was nothing more than an inward witness or an inward perception. But there was something more that we were supposed to be doing. And I just woke up one morning and knew this is not everything we're supposed to do. Well, it was just a short time after that that we took one of our trips overseas and and um, to Europe, ministered over there. And, man, I mean, we had a, had a great time. The word was well received. Here in the States, people want to know who you are and where you've been and how do you compare to the other big-name guy they know. But overseas, it wasn't like that. I don't know if it is now. I hope not. But overseas, it wasn't like that. People were just glad to hear the word. They didn't care who you were. They didn't care what your name was. They didn't care whether you were famous. They didn't. They just wanted to hear what the word was. And as a result, we had some tremendous, tremendous meetings. So much so that I started thinking, maybe God wants us to move overseas. I'd do that in a heartbeat. At that point in time, just to go somewhere where you were well-received and you didn't have to worry about church politics and who's who and all this kind of stuff, man, what a breath of fresh air that was. So we started thinking, maybe the Lord wants us to move overseas. But we didn't know. Well, about six months went by. And I've still got this thing nagging on the inside of me. There's something more God wants me to do. Now, during that time and even before that time, I'd had other churches offered to me. I had people and and groups of people that would say, have you ever thought about pastoring? We know of uh, this place down the street or down the road or or over in the nearby town or this church that's looking for a pastor or something like that. We had been contacted by a number of people because of our association with Brother Hagin and people knew us from that. And uh, and none, nothing seemed right. I was too smart. I always have been too smart to say that I wouldn't do something. 
Just as soon as you tell God you won't do it, he'll make sure you have a chance to experience it. So I never would say I wouldn't pastor, but I didn't want to because it wasn't in my heart. Well, there's a lot of things I don't want to do because they're not in my heart. But as soon as God puts it in your heart, then you want to, you know. So anyway, we started thinking about maybe overseas is a thing to do, but that didn't seem right either. Now, where I'm seeing a lot of people make mistakes is they'll get antsy. They'll have something in their heart. There's something more. There's something else God wants me to do. And they don't know what it is, so they just start trying to do everything. They just start trying to run off and take take this avenue or, or open this door or try to make this door open for them or whatever the case is, and they wind up off track. Wind up out of the will of God rather than being led by the Spirit of God. So I knew that since we didn't know what else to do, we just kept our eyes and ears open, open and ready to hear from God and anything he wanted us to do. But I knew well enough not to quit doing what the last thing that God told me to do really was, which was to travel and minister, travel and teach. So I'm traveling and teaching, but getting less and less satisfied by it. Finally, one day, sitting in a friend's office on the campus of Rainbow Bible Training Center in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in between some trips, Conversation, casual conversation, just a joke where the guy said about this area, we were scheduled to come into a church and uh, without our knowledge, the church had got run into some trouble and kind of blown up, was uh, scattered and people were scattered and the church was in pieces. We were scheduled to be back in there to preach in that church for the second time in about a month. And my friend said, I think telling me about what a problem it was and what a nightmare situation had occurred. He said, maybe God wants you to go there and pastor. Well, as soon as he said that, that's exactly what dropped on the inside of me. I don't remember another word he said. But that's exactly what the Lord spoke to my heart. I just knew. I say spoke. It wasn't words. I just knew. Now, six months earlier, I had an inward knowing that there was something more. Now I've got an inward knowing that this is it. Now, folks, I've got to tell you, I would have loved for the Lord to have given me that inward knowing six months earlier. But you can't control those things. I mean, let's face it, if I'd come to town six months earlier before the other church ran into trouble and it already started, I'd been in perfect position to gather all those people up. Now, we may think that sounds like a Christian and loving thing to do, but it wouldn't have been. It'd been the wrong thing to do. It'd been the wrong motive. I'd come here looking for other people's church people, another church's people. See, just because God calls you to the ministry doesn't mean there's built-in integrity. Well, I wish Christians had learned that. Not everybody that's a minister, not everybody that's able to minister effectively has character. Jesus worked on his character for 30 years before he went into three years of ministry. If that's a pattern, I think we ought to put 10 times the effort into our character development than we do into being used of God. So they didn't rush it, did they? They waited for the Holy Ghost to open the doors. I've seen so many people get in trouble by trying to rush things. And after it all, after after all of it shakes out, and they work themselves in and cause trouble in the meantime, and finally God brings it around, I've had so many people say, if only we had waited. If only we had let God work it out. But see, so many times people think that once they get something from the Lord, they're supposed to run off and do it. I've had the Lord tell me about things that I'm going to be doing 20 years down the road. I'm getting a lot closer to that 20 years down the road than when he first spoke to me. But man, you think I didn't want to run off and and do it? Looking back at it, I can say I wouldn't have been prepared. 
May not be yet. I've still got some time left. But I'm sure closer to it than I would have been. The things of God take preparation. Finally, let me, let me close with one more thing. One last thing that people do. Turn with me over to Acts chapter 27. This is Paul on his journey. He's already been to Rome, or I'm sorry, he's already been to Jerusalem, and now he's been sent from Jerusalem to Rome. And in the middle of this journey, he has to travel by ship. And it says that he's about to sail from a certain place. Verse 9, now when much time was spent and when sailing was now dangerous because the fast was now already passed, in other words, the time of year for sailing had passed, Paul admonished them, meaning the crew and the, the owners of the ship, And said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Now notice what he did not say. Notice he did not say, God told me. Notice he did not say, Thus saith the Holy Ghost. What did he say? He said, Sirs, I perceive. Now what is perceiving? What is a spiritual perception if not an inward witness? Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the sons of God or children of God. What is a spiritual perception if it's not the inward witness? It's exactly the same. It's a different way to say it, different terminology, but they're one and the same. Paul's saying, I've got an inward witness about this. Now, uh, we certainly understand that if Paul had been in control, he wouldn't have sailed. But he wasn't. He said the captain and the owners of the ship didn't listen to him and set sail and everything he said was going to happen, happened. Now, in the middle of this this uh, uh, trip, an angel appears to him and tells him further insight, gives him further information about what's going to happen. And everybody's lives were, lo- were uh, saved, but they lost everything in the ship and were cast on a certain island and so forth. So there was a supernatural, or uh, I'm sorry, there was a spectacular occurrence that brought information later on in the trip. But it starts off with a spiritual perception. It starts off with Paul having an inward witness. This is not going to go well. This is not going to go well. Now, folks, let me uh, let me take a couple of minutes here and, and, and finish up tonight. Um, let me tell you what I think. I'm not going to tell you this is Bible truth. But here's something I want you to consider. When God made the animals here on the earth... He placed something in them that we know of as instinct. What is that? It's a knowing that they have without thinking things through. They don't reason things out. We've heard stories of how animals will run uh, just before an earthquake or they'll do different things seeking for protection just before an earthquake before there's any sign or evidence of it whatsoever. How do they know? Now, here's the reason I I don't want to get into an animal theory class. But here's the reason that I ask that. Would God put something called instinct in animals and not give it to his greatest, the greatest of his creations, man? Would man not have an instinct? Would man not have a, a, a hidden something that shows him and warns him of impending danger? I believe he does. I believe that's what the inward witness is. Uh, it's been uh, probably, well, a little over 25 years ago now. It was shortly after we started the church. There was a, a situation that uh, was written up in the paper where there was a, a sheriff's uh, officer, a deputy sheriff, that was killed in a shootout in a convenience store uh, here in this area, uh, over in Mission Viejo, I think it was. And um, 
uh, it, the, the story really got my attention because of the interview and the write-up that they put in the Orange County Register. And uh, apparently, if I remember the story correctly, uh, the family of this officer, they were all in the car, and they had been somewhere. And uh, as an off-duty officer, uh, you know, he, he has a, a ride. I don't know if it was the same then it is now. But uh, anyway, you carry off, you carry your, your firearm, sidearm. And uh, but at this party, whatever it was, picnic or whatever it was, they were with everybody. He didn't walk around carrying his gun. So he left it under the seat in the car. And uh, so after they're they're leaving the party, they're on the way home. They stopped at the convenience store for something. And uh, and he started to get out. And the, and the, the wife is uh, being interviewed, had been interviewed sometime later by the, the newspaper. Got a big write-up, big story in, uh, in the local area. And, uh, and she said this. She said he started to get out of the car, and before he, he just, you know, kind of had one leg swung out into the driver's side door, he stopped, and then he put his hand under the seat and pulled out his, uh, his uh, revolver, his service weapon. And he put it on his, uh, put it on his hip. It was one of those slide holster things. She said he slid the holster onto his hip and said, you folks, you guys stay in the car. She said, why? What is it? What's wrong? He said, I don't know, but you guys stay in the car. Well, he walked inside, spooked a guy that was in the middle of a robbery, and the guy shot him and killed him. Now, it turned out that the guy was a Christian, uh, what we would know of as a, uh, a nominal Christian. It wasn't, they weren't a real church-going family or anything, but he was saved and uh, went to one of the local denominational churches in the area. And so uh, that was part of the story about how everybody turned out for the funeral and that kind of thing. But let me ask you something. What did he know? Why did he stop and come back for his revolver? If that's not the inward witness, what would it have been? Now, we might say that that's instinct. Because you know as well as I do that when people are on the job, whether it's policemen or, or firemen or whatever the case is, they develop, and, and, and it's not just public service jobs or, 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 you know, dangerous jobs or anything like that, but you know as well as I do that the more you give yourself to your job, the more you give experience and, and gain experience on your job, you know you develop kind of an instinctive nature about how things work on your job. It may be more pronounced in something like a policeman's job because he's always dealing with crime and violence and, and things like that. And so that instinct would show up a little bit more, perhaps, than it might be for somebody else. But that's not the only case. That's not the only time that it happens. The story of R.G. Letourneau is an interesting one. He was a Christian man that had a little mechanic shop on the side of the road in a small town. He was the first man that ever put a blade on a tractor that became a bulldozer and, and all that kind of stuff. He was kind of the father of modern machinery or heavy machinery. And and he would say, people, he would uh, kind of a, a general fix-it guy. He was the idea man. People would come to him with a problem. I need this. I need that. Farmers and so forth. He developed a lot of the, the farming implements and plowing implements and things like that by, uh, by uh, just with a creative mind. And he would say, I would pour over a problem and study it and study it and study it. And he said, God, not get anywhere with it. And he said, I'd pray before I'd go to sleep. And he said, it, uh, so many times he'd wake up with the answer. He instinctively knew how to do certain things. How is that? How did this policeman have an instinct that something was going on when there was no evidence from the outside? How did he know? Folks, I believe that you can develop instinct on your job by giving your attention to the job, by giving yourself to the job, to be as good on the job as you have, as you can be, no matter what your job is, you can develop an instinct there. But if you get the Holy Ghost involved, that instinct can be enhanced. But by the same measure, if you give your attention to the Word... Put the word first place in your life, it will enhance anything and everything you do. 
Because you develop that instinct, which is only the inward witness. That's the only thing it could be. We've talked about this before. Psychologists talk about the subconscious mind. There is no such thing as subconscious mind. If there was, the Bible would tell us about it. And it doesn't. But there is a spirit. The spirit is what psychologists and psychiatrists have identified as the subconscious mind. They have no clue what to do with it. They have no clue how it works. But we do. We know that if you feed it on the Word of God, we know that if you develop yourself in the Word of God and give yourself to the Word of God to be a doer of the Word, we know that that instinct, that spiritual instinct, that spiritual perception will increase. It'll be enhanced. It'll be improved. That's what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 8. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they're the sons of God. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. Folks, that inward witness, that spiritual perception will tell you who God is. If he bears witness with your own spirit that you are the children of God, what more would the Holy Ghost want to reveal to you through your own spirit? What more would your spirit, seeking guidance from the Holy Ghost, tap into if not the character and the nature of God? I remember as a denominational Christian, I didn't know anything about the Holy Ghost. I didn't know there was a such thing as the Holy Ghost. We certainly never talked about the Holy Ghost in the Baptist church. But I knew some of the things that they told me about God wasn't right. I know I knew God wasn't making people sick. How did I know that? I was just a kid. How did I know that? I was still sensitive to the Holy Ghost. People have that same sensitivity, but they lose it because they don't give attention to the Word. They give attention to other things. Some cases it's the teachings of men. Some cases it's the teachings or the doctrines of their own church. But anything that doesn't line up with the word will rob you of that spiritual perception, that spiritual sensitivity. Jesus' admonition is worthy of consideration. Take heed to what you hear. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you that it's true. Thank you that we have the privilege as children of God to be led by the Holy Ghost. We thank you, Father. Just as Jesus said, we hear and know your voice because we are your children. We are led of the Spirit of God. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Thank you, Father, that the Holy Ghost testifies of Jesus and shows us things to come. We thank you, Father, for the privilege to be your children. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.